and welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm your host, Kamiko McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. Kaylee, we are in, I guess it's the official, well, 2024, but also the first big event of 2024, first big industry event, which is CES. Um, What are your thoughts ahead of this? Yeah, I guess it technically kicks off today or this week. I'm not entirely sure because neither you or I are on the ground there, but we have been doing like a lot of reporting around it leading up to and throughout this week, um, you know, all that coverage will be on digiday.com. But it is definitely like, I think in my story that I'm working on, it really is kind of like a vibe check setting the tone for the ad market in 2024. At least that's how like a lot of publishers that I've spoken with have approached going into CES this year. It seems like it's a really big opportunity to kind of put their technological offerings, their, you know, ad products, their new, you know, original video and like, you know, other capabilities front and center and like get that like coveted FaceTime with, you know, marketers and uh, agency execs. So all that to say, the year is off to a very um, busy, busy start. And there is, yeah, it's been a lot of calls. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, back-to-back calls. I think I had maybe seven yesterday just trying to get that reporting done. Um, So no telling where my head's at today. But um, obviously, AI is going to be the big thing in the room. So very curious kind of how all this plays out. We've been having discussions about it for at least the last year. So given, you know, where we're at in the hype cycle, it'll be very exciting to see. But um, one of the players that will be at uh, CES this year is obviously um, Bloomberg Media in some capacity as a publisher. But actually, you had the opportunity to talk to their CRO. Christine Cook uh, recently for for the latest episode of the podcast. Um, so would love to get into a little bit of what you guys talked about, how we're starting with a busy start this year and publishers showing up at CES and things like this. Yeah. So we, she and I talked at the end of last year, looking ahead into 2024. And so a lot of what we talked about was like what they're focusing on in terms of which ad products or capabilities are pushing forward. Um, they did a big kind of like rejig to their events business last year. And so I've done a lot of reporting about how events is going to be like this big like white whale in 2024 to really try to squeeze, you know, sponsorship revenue out of uh, clients. And so we talked a lot about that, you know, continued shift in events, um, the addition of, you know, more uh, innovation in the events business. But we also talk about things like their original video and their um, longer form video and the, uh, you know, like CTV kind of like um, you know, digital, I clearly don't cover like video. So like all of those (laughs) acronyms around video, we talk about that too. And how these products are really being looked at as like, you know, strong capabilities for media companies in 2024. And so, um, while she and I talked, like we briefly touch on like CES showing up at CES and like Davos and other industry events to, you know, really, make these, you know, big moments for like selling. But I also talked to their, um, you know, head of North American sales uh, yesterday, maybe, or a couple days ago now when this podcast goes live. And yeah, Bloomberg Media is really treating CES as like an opportunity to get FaceTime uh, with marketers and with, you know, agency execs. And I think, you know, again, in like the reporting I've been doing around CES, it's very much getting that like 
pulse check on how ad spend is going. And so um, I think towards the end of our conversation, um, if I'm remembering correctly, Christine and I, we do talk about kind of outlook for 2024 and like what she's kind of expecting in terms of ad revenue. And obviously there are other areas of the business that'll help kind of bolster any softness in there. But I think ultimately there's a decent amount of optimism. Um, So it was a great conversation with her. I think in tandem with like the industry events going on to kick off 2024, this is a really good look at how media companies, media revenue heads are thinking about this year and, you know, the realistic kind of, I guess, predictions that can or cannot be made at this point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with no further ado, I will let you and Christine get into it. Cool. Thanks, Kimiko. Christine, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. First guest of the new year. Happy New Year, Kaylee. Thank you so much for having me. But of course, we are recording this in mid-December, so uh, <laughs> apologies in advance to our listeners for any inconsistencies in the time framing that we're talking about um, as we get into this conversation. But yes, first guest of the new year. Very excited to get into all things you know, media with you. Um, and I think heading into this new year, there are a lot of things that when I'm talking to uh, media execs, that seem to be carrying over from 2023, or the expectation is not a whole lot of changes coming with the new year, but there are some areas of opportunity and places where they're planning to lean in into the new year. So I'm really excited to hear about your 2024 strategy. Before we get into that, I do want to ask how 2023 was from a business and revenue perspective for Bloomberg Media. How did the year end up turning out for you guys? We uh, we landed with some bright spots. Uh, in particular, uh, our international growth was significant. Uh, we didn't uh, avoid a lot of the slippage and variability that I think a lot of people experienced. And it's very difficult to predict in 2023. It feels like the shifts were uh, all over the place. You know, we had a bright spot in Q2 and then also saw a lot of shifting into 2024. So I feel it'll be interesting to see how 2024 settles. But, you know, outside of that shifting, in particular in North America and or in Europe, for us, we saw growth in the Middle East and Africa was up 54% year on year. And in Asia Pac, uh, we saw growth of 10% up year on year. So that was very exciting. Uh, we saw growth in attendance at our Bloomberg Live experiences. Um, So that was very exciting to see a real desire for people to meet and congregate in person. Um, We saw growth in some non-core endemic categories. Um, While B2B in general seems to be growing and maturing, we also saw growth in um, business-to-consumer or luxury uh, understanding that our audience not only is comes to our property for business insights, but they're also consumers with uh, the income to support some luxury items in automotive or watches and jewelry, etc. You know, 2023 for Bloomberg Media also saw the launch of our second network, uh, a strategy around Bloomberg Originals. Bloomberg TV, live, you know, coverage of the markets around the world. And Bloomberg Originals is a standalone channel. And we produced a variety of programs under that Bloomberg Original banner. 
including um, series like Emily Chang, The Circuit, all the way through to a full feature documentary, The Ruin, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, which very conveniently launched uh, the same week that um, he went to trial. So uh, we had some good things going on. And, you know, lastly, I would say we've had a paywall up for some time on Bloomberg Digital and uh, we exceeded half a million subscribers there. So in spite of difficult to predict, there were definitely bright spots in our business. Yeah. And so um, definitely a lot to dig into. I know events is a big topic I want to touch on in this conversation. I want to get into subscriptions and the originals business as well. But you mentioned that Middle East and Africa was up 54% year on year. Asia was up 10%. What, I guess, where were you netting out for US and Europe? Is it kind of flat or were there any kind of decreases in revenue? We, uh, well, we're not done yet, but um, <laughs> we This is true. Saw, this is December 15th. <laughs> um, you know, in certain categories, I would say we saw, you know, growth over year on year, but uh, on the whole, given the intensely tough first quarter, you know, it was it was really difficult to catch up against some of the others. I would say, you know, spotlighting um, those other two markets, we saw you know, not only existing brands, uh, but a lot of new brands and new categories that we will be doubling down on where we, I think, are in a unique position uh, to provide services to our clients. And in particular, you know, to the point in time of the year that we're talking about when this comes out, we'll be very excited to have uh, Bloomberg House at Davos, which We've always been the largest media partner for the World Economic Forum. Uh, and then this will be the first year where we actually have our own destination to commune. So you mentioned, like, I guess getting into um, maybe ad categories for a second, because you did mention that luxury was uh, a pretty good, like, category to be spending or, I guess, getting ad revenue from this past year. And I, I've heard that from virtually every publisher uh, that I talked to, that luxury and auto, I guess, in the luxury category were really up this year. What were some other categories? Because I know, like, tech had that whole thing with layoffs. I don't know if that was, like, 2022 or if that was, like, affecting 2023 at the beginning of the year. Finance as well with, like, SVB um, going through its thing. Like, there were a lot of categories that were seeing a lot of um, – volatility earlier in the year? Like, I guess when you're heading into 2024, which categories are you feeling better about? Which ones do you think are still kind of lagging behind? And uh, you mentioned new categories as well, like heading into the new year, where are you kind of looking to double down? Our core categories, our core category strength is in business and financial services. And so in the banking sector, we saw continued investment and diversification of how they invested with us. And as you were mentioning, you wanted to talk about events. Events is an area where we've seen a lot of the clients in that sector expand, either uh, by convening or having conversations and curating conversations and or um, working with our brand studio for narratives that follow or precede those events. Another category that's been really interesting for us is in the consultancies. As you mentioned, a lot of industries, in particular the technology category, they've gone through significant restructuring. They're trying to understand how they should be aligned. 
And so there has been a growing opportunity for consultancies globally to work with not just technology, but a variety of brands. Given that Bloomberg's foundation is in data, our terminal business is all about transparency and access to data that moves markets. By extension, the newsroom that powers the terminal and also powers Bloomberg News is really focused on data and insights. We have Bloomberg Intelligence but we, uh, within the terminal, but we also, within our media business, have a data and insights group. And so we work a lot more in the consultancy space to provide them the unique perspective that we have or the unique research that we can bring to them and help them carve out um, you know, new trends that their clients are dealing with. I guess heading into the 2024 year, I, the other, I guess, trend I was hearing from media execs, maybe beginning of Q4, possibly end of Q3, is that there was a decent amount of interest from advertisers and agencies looking ahead into the the coming year versus like, I guess, really focusing specifically on Q4, which had been kind of a little bit of a pitfall for a lot of publishers the past few years. But heading into 2024, do you already have a solid pipeline kind of set up for the coming year from a, like, you mentioned events being like a big kind of focus, but I guess like how does the pipeline look for whether it's like RFP volume or just like getting, you know, campaigns locked in for the next few quarters? Like how how is 24 looking like from a one predictability standpoint, but two, just having that kind of um, like business in motion already? A lot of people have uh, earlier than we've seen before asked about full year or longer term into 2024. That's one thing for sure. Two was it seemed like a lot of marketers were done with 2023 and wanted to move the conversation into the next year. Um, I would say also that, you know, not unlike the strategy that we've taken with Bloomberg Live Experiences, which is fewer, bigger, better, global. Uh, I believe our clients must be singing from that same song sheet. And the invitations that we've had to find solutions that cross quarters and months uh, is much more significant than what we had seen before, which was more of a 30, 60 day kind of RFP cycle. That's exciting. We, uh, we've accelerated how we're preparing our upfront narratives around video opportunities and or key franchises that we have. We, we shifted to package those up so that we were prepared sooner when we saw clients shifting. So we're prepared now as we go into CES and we go into Davos to illustrate what we are going to be doing at least through June and, and, and many programs that we have that'll go through until December 2024. And so definitely want to touch on events at this point because um, I spoke with Jessica Weber, who's the global head of Bloomberg Live Experiences in, I think it was September this year, um, or po- perhaps it was October. Um, the timeline is really fuzzy for me at the end of the year, I'll tell you. Um, but the... Uh, the thing that kind of stood out to me is that um, from that conversation is this looking at the events as like a content creation opportunity as well and using that like as commercial material or using it as other assets for campaigns for, you know, clients. And 
definitely want to get into that kind of like fewer, bigger, better strategy for events holistically. But when you're looking at how clients are activating at events and how they want to show up at events, I feel like it's slightly different from the past couple of years where it's not just about like lead generation, but it is about like really kind of like milking events for all that they can offer in a lot of ways, as as gross as that metaphor kind of sounds. But yeah, can you talk a little bit about event sponsorship and what that kind of looks like and what that means to you as you're assessing partners against this business in 2024? Events, uh, well, Jess has done a brilliant job with Bloomberg Live Experiences. And this fall, we launched our screen time event in Los Angeles as one example. And BMW was a sponsor. They uh, featured one of their vehicles prominently at the front of the gathering point around the event. So, you know, when you talk about experiential, you literally can have people in the vehicle. And then also, as an extension, we created content around the vehicle within the event experience that we uh, or that they were able to use to extend outside of the physical gathering. That's one example. Another would be uh, we worked with Google Chrome both in North America and in Europe associated with the Bloomberg Technology Conference. And there, our brand studio created a deeply experiential gaming experience that um, illustrated uh, the assets and aspects that Chrome was focused. And that was really engaging, and it not only drew the right participants from the event, but gave them something, a gamification to be deeply involved with Chrome. You move from that into work we're, we'll be doing on the ground for the World Economic Forum. At Bloomberg House, um, one of our partners, Mubadala, um, is working with us to release a, um, a quantitative global research study that we have done within the ads team, focusing on the future of investing. And so in that situation, we've produced content in advance and empowered them to have something relevant at this gathering place to reveal this research. So those are just a handful of a couple of examples. As you can see, there's a spectrum depending on the type of event, what the brand is looking to do and or geographically where we may be in expressing that for them. Yeah. And I guess like as you're assessing, you know, partnerships or getting RFPs for the coming year um, or the RFPs that you've already received and acted on, like what percentage of them have some sort of tie into live experiences or events in some way? Because I feel like it is a very common thing I'm hearing from a lot of different publishers, not all of them, but quite the majority that events is kind of the top of mind thing for advertisers next year. Kaylee, our events business is a standalone business uh, separate from our core ads business, which means that there is a dedicated editorial team, but that means there is also a dedicated sales team. So last year, we actually hired Felipe Veloso, who is the head of sales for Bloomberg Global Live Experiences. I mentioned that because while brands are increasingly talking about it, there are divisions and or units that focus exclusively on events. And we do see amplification and a need to service those people in in a good way. However, Jess and I work very closely together. And so when you look at the temp holes that we've stood up for 2024 for the Global Media Sales Organization, one of our events is in the center of all of those because very often we've used the audiences that attend those different events 
as a solution extension for the audiences that we've been requested to target either through Digital Video or Business Week magazine or Bloomberg TV Plus as an example. The number of proposals that we see in the media team, you know, honestly, I don't know that number off the top of my head. But what I would tell you is that more often than not, we present that as a solution and we've seen the uptake on going into that as a solution grow. I started by talking about, you know, Bloomberg Live Experiences being a discrete and separate thing because in a lot of publishing houses, they will perform an event that's usually like built out of a brand studio. And of course, we could do that. And I'm sure that there are benefits and rewards that can be earned from that. In our situation, this is a discrete media channel. One of the reflections I have after Cannes this year was the real desire for curated community and connecting in real life, live experiences. You also saw that live was really important as more people flock to sports, especially in the marketing space. And so I think we sit in a really nice position to have live television, business-to-business television, talking about the things that matter to markets, and these convening moments to either connect with our editorial teams or to matchmake businesses together in a business-to-business world. Like, that's you know the fastest source to moving their solutions forward. Yeah. I I do want to ask too about the fewer but bigger events going into next year too, because it's something that I touched on in the story when I spoke with Jess Weber. Um, But it was really kind of like winnowing down maybe the amount of iterations of one like event franchise and kind of creating one bigger standalone event and making it like have more opportunities for advertisers to join in, getting larger audiences. But I want to talk a little bit about that strategy because I think when a lot of people think about building an events business and like, you know, really embracing the growth there, they think, all right, we have to do more events or we have to do more like made for advertiser events kind of thing. But your approach seemed a little like not antithetical, but like different from the, I think, immediate way of thinking. We did make a decision to do fewer and bigger The focus is when we do it, it should be powerful and engaging enough that a global business leader would want to make a travel to that destination. It also is so that we can continue to attract the highest profile and more interesting speakers, which then draws the right audiences. You know, we've increasingly been charging for attendance at events. And if you're asking someone to pay, you want to make sure that the experience is, you know, grade A. And so being very diligent about what do we need to convene around, where we're going to convene around, and when, when you map that out and apply your resources to it to get the best product, the best speakers, the best clients, you know, when you have sponsors involved, that is important to them. Having a scalable audience of the right people with the most powerful speakers is very important. It would be easy to chase around and do it all the time, but then you thin yourself out. You dilute the value for the client and, you know, arguably you would have a thinner experience for the people that chose to attend. Yeah, that's a very solid point. And I think it's something that a more established 
like events business can also accomplish versus like publishers who are more so racing to meet the desire from advertisers right now. Are you doing fewer, like is the plan or is the calendar set to have fewer total events this year, like 2024 than you had in 2023? Or is it less about like, um, or I guess, did you kind of take this approach last year? So the calendar is going to be somewhat reflective of 2023. I would say it's been a progression uh, when you go 22 to, you know, obviously the pandemic's gave us all a moment to pause about, you know, when we were going to do it right, what does it look like? And it was almost like a moment from scratch. And that thesis that I underscored about, you know, what does it take to build a globally relevant, powerful B2B conference that someone sees as meaningful and important? Uh, For example, back to screen time, do we do one screen time in LA one time a year and continue to harness those best speakers so that the speakers see each other? And, and we create a community moment for them to network. Or do we do, you know, screen time everywhere? Everybody gets a screen time. Well, then, you know, you might have one power speaker at one event and another, and then you dilute the opportunity to connect those two people. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I've, this is something that evolved. We had a moment in time. This is a mature business for us. And we wanted to do what was right for, um, you know, to meet those core principles based on the learnings from, you know, the past handful of years. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Bloomberg Live experiences a separate business, has its own sales team. Is that a recent change? Because I know Adweek wrote a story in September about some changes to the sales and marketing division because event revenue was up. I think they quoted 48% year over year at that time. So also, what is the total revenue year over year? at the end of the year. But like, I guess, was that change to have a separate division, something that happened earlier this year? Or has that been kind of the um, model for a little bit? The model when I, um, so I joined in the spring. And uh, when I joined, part of the desire was to have, there's always been dedicated event salespeople. And the desire was to hire a head of event sales to really own and move that strategy forward. And that strategy uh, is not only for the dedicated direct sellers, but then in how they mirror that strategy with the global integrated media sales team. So it's it's really a partnership um, there. So it's it's not completely brand new, but it's an evolution to make that more sophisticated. Got it. And um, that figure, 48% year over year, is that still standing for the events business this year or has it increased, decreased? It's it's still standing, if not slightly increased. But I am curious, like as, you know, overseeing revenue and the competitive ad market right now, given how much, I guess, emphasis there's being put on events businesses in the media space next year from publishers kind of at large, is there any concern about like a bubble forming or like competition for like sponsorship revenue on events because of that? Like I, I, and I'm saying this just because I hear how many people are mentioning it in conversations. Like they're seeing this as the bright spot for next year and uh, otherwise kind of scary time. But I am curious like what you think about a perspective or possible bubble or, you know, competition increasing for those dollars? There'll definitely be more competition, to your point. I mean, 
going back to what I was saying before, we, we, we can see that there's real desire coming out of the pandemic and, and, and also just with the evolution of how we communicate through digital platforms, there's an increasing and growing desire to meet human to human face to face. So that's, that's clearly growing and uh, publishers that are shifting their strategies to seize those moments, not a surprise. So that will drive competition. Um, we are fortunate within the B2B space that there is a limited number of people in that space. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that we will still win out because of the maturity of our business, because the quality of our editorial. So I feel okay about where we sit and, I, and I'm really excited about the things that we have on deck for next year. So I think that those will be differentiated. Even though you're hearing a lot around events, as I mentioned, events sit in a bucket that I would call live. And the other parts of live that are really interesting are live TV. Um, you see sports. We're not, I mean, we, we cover the business of sports because we know as an industry, sports is incredibly powerful. And for marketers, there's a lot of movement towards live sports even though every tier one quarterback in the NFL seemed to have been injured this year, um, it makes it all the more dramatic to tune in and, and, and know what's happening now. We seize on moments like that as well. For example, this year when GE held a massive conference around their Lean Mindset event, we partnered with them and ran live ads from their event on Bloomberg TV and commercial spots. So we took a live commercial spot break from programming and dropped in on the GE conference several times. I think we did it six times in the morning slot. So we, we saw that live was this powerful thing. They were having a live event, their own event. So we tapped in and made that live event available to the Bloomberg viewers, and then also did extensions, you know, to, to capture that. You know, so yes, we could talk a lot about events, but I think it's powerful to get into, you know, other aspects of capturing live. Outside of live, data will continue to be a really important strategy for people, and how we use data with privacy continues to get more complicated, but, um, the part of data that's really interesting to me is data for insights, data for intelligence. So when I go back to that Mubadala example, we're leaning on data, not just to target, but to provide thoughtful aspects of either a sector um, or a trend for clients. So, uh, you know, behind live, which includes events and TV, data, I think, will be really interesting and, and, and will be a growth sector for us in how we harness it to meet our clients' uh, demands. One aspect of how we use data is we went into partnership with the ANA, their Global CMO Growth Council, to talk about um, you know, providing insights. And in particular, around AI, we did a business guide to AI because that's who we are. That's, that's, that's a value that we can give that, that supports the ecosystem. Um, so, you know, live with events and TV, data, um, you know, I had mentioned community that kind of runs throughout that. And then, you know, video and originals, 
We have a ton of video, but with originals, we're doing really fun things, not just in sponsorships. So like the Emily Chang original show, The Circuit, sponsored by AT&T. That was fantastic. Um, but we're about to launch The Optimist Guide to the Planet with Nikolai Castor waldau And in there, we have Kia and Samsung integrated in, in a much deeper way because it's Bloomberg Originals and it's outside of Core News. So moving into like that aspect of video will be really fun, new terrain for us going into 2024. Yeah, and that was going to be my next area to focus on video and originals because um, you had you had teased a, a couple of the things that came out this year, but I wanted to ask what the slate looks like coming up and whether or not there's more investment in creating more projects or uh, more, I guess, appetite for unique brand integrations into like originals next year and maybe. Curious, too, what some of those examples might be of, um, I think you mentioned Kia as one of them. But um, yeah, I guess, like, what is the growth trajectory or, or plan to, like, focus on that area next year? Well, I don't want to quote, like, a, an, an absolute growth you know, volume number, but we're in year one this year in 2023 with Bloomberg Originals. And so that means that our editorial teams are understanding what resonates with our audiences. We reach our audiences in so many different places. And so you have a lot to ingest on which sectors are responding more than others. Um, you know, maybe a YouTube uh, audience is slightly different than a Samsung TV Plus or uh, someone who's just watching on our Originals channel. So as we're ingesting all of that information, it will really drive the slate. Um, there are um, some programs that we're pushing, um, you know, but I I don't want to get ahead of myself on talking about any of those. I, I think that the Optimist Guide is the best example of that. And by the time this podcast air, it will almost be out. I think it launches on February 8th. So um, that'll be a really good use case for what is in the realm of possible for the future. And so I also want to talk about like subscriptions too, because I feel like that gets at like the the community piece a little bit, the audience piece. Um, I know for maybe not so much B2B or like business publications, but like a lot of B2C publications had trouble with audience numbers and traffic decreasing this past year. And for some, I think it impacted their subscription business or their ability to scale subscriptions to a degree. Not all, but some. Um, curious how your subscriptions business netted out for this year, if there was growth or if it was pretty steady, all things considered. But that was a, a wonky business to follow, I think. Yeah. So in the first half of uh, the in in the first half of this year, we saw subscription business growing eight um, percent year on year, and we exceeded the half a million uh, subscriber mark this year, which is very exciting. We've been on that journey for a little while. And yes, you're right. The changes in social referrals impacted everybody um, to a greater or lesser degree. But uh, this year we all, uh, invested in a whole new brand campaign. The context changes everything. And that was a meaningful contributor. And that brand campaign not only was aimed at driving people to subscribe, but it was also an awareness play. And I think that that's interesting. You know, it, 
there's a variation of strategy that we were talking about in events. You know, you're like, well, everybody wants events. They're just going to do a bunch of events. And so if you're going to go after subscriptions, you'd be like, all DR all the time, like drive conversion. But no, we, we are working on the full funnel because not only do we want someone to come in, but we want them to come in, consume a lot and stay and come back and gift to their friends. <laughs> Right. Is the is the idea or is the expectation that um, growth will continue into 2024 for subscriptions or is there any like worries about hitting a plateau if, you know, companies are, are not able to expense subscriptions, for example, knowing that as like a, a coming from a trade myself. But like, how are you thinking about um, subscription growth next year? I think we should expect to see continued growth. Definitely. Um, and uh, we're we're optimistic because yes, it's true that um, in the trades you get into an ex- you know is it getting expense situation, but um, you know points of differentiation. We are global and we do something that's slightly different. You know we do have live TV covering the market opens and closes around the world, and. Um, that uh, that point of differentiation and, and the narratives that we cover, not only just the financial sector, but also City Lab, you know, the narratives that we have around the changing landscape of what it is to run a city. So I think our content diversity uh, and the tone of how we cover in tandem with our rich and growing video will be a value that people will continue to pay for. I guess like looking ahead to 2024, Outside of what we've already talked about of, you know, areas of focus, areas of doubling down, I am curious about other areas of optimism that you have kind of earmarked for the for this new year and where you're either looking to invest more in, whether that's like research or, you know, the, the teams that are behind some of these areas or um, if you're looking to get into new businesses. But I am curious about like other opportunities that you're identifying in 2024? First, we're just focusing on our core. We are going to focus to provide the best service and opportunities for those industries that have been supporting us. So definitely financial services, the ones that wouldn't be surprised uh, to you. Um, We will continue to focus on curating communities and bringing people together uh, at our events or bespoke events or gatherings as um, as they may occur. Um, and we'll continue to focus on data and insights to help either associations like the ANA or industries. To support that, we are pretty much all vertically aligned globally in our account coverage. And that's a meaningful change because it eases for, uh, the ability for us to share learnings about what's happening in these industries Uh, given the quick switches that were happening in the market in 2023, we realized that we wanted to be better students of all of the nuances in our clients' industry verticals. So verticalizing the sales team is one. The second is um, we're standing up a client council to give first look, but also to get direct feedback to the different parties internally, whether that's Julia Beiser on the digital team and or to our editorial team as they're looking at that slate of originals um, and or our data and insights team. All of that is 
how are we better partners to our core consumer, uh, our core our core advertising audience, right? While the totality of the business continues to focus on that consumer audience, right? And the beautiful thing about being a B2B is what our core editorial team is working on also is a high and positive impact to the people that advertise with us. So for us as the sales team is how do we create that bridge to not only have a place for their advertising to run, but to bring firsthand uh, opportunities for them so they can be smarter as they're driving their business forward. So, you know, with the client council, we're endeavoring to have regular meetings at appropriate gathering points around the world um, and, and more with more speed getting that back on how are our ad products working? Are we covering the right stuff, um, you know, as the industry continues to pivot? That's fascinating. I've been asking a lot of CROs and, you know, heads of revenue about like sales team operations and if there's been any changes made because of the like slippery nature of 2023 to try and better ground the um, ad business. And, you know, some people talked about like adding incentives for like high margin um, ad products or others talked about bringing their branded content teams into the like entirety of the sales operation so that the branded content teams can write proposals because they're really good at writing uh, for, you know, advertising. But like things like that, I think a client council sounds really fascinating because it is kind of allowing the like closing the loop, right? Like getting that feedback from advertisers to say, okay, this is what um, like we're interested in sustainability this year. Like how can we like work with you to, you know, implement that into our campaigns, it sounds like, like kind of really, I don't know. Yeah. I guess closing the loop is the best way to phrase that, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really important. I mean, look, when you run a sales team and you stand in front of the sales team and you say, everybody go get more meetings, you know, they'll look at you and they'll be like, okay. If you bring somebody from the outside to come in and say, you should get more meetings. They might actually go get more meetings. It's an oversimplified example, but internally, when we come back and say, well, most of our clients in the banking category want this or that, that's one thing. But if I bring those banking clients and sit them in front of the ad product team, uh, you know, you get their attention a little bit more. So uh, when you think about service models in this business, you know, when you respond to an RFP, that's not really the opportunity to show all the best way that you're, you know, providing good customer service. It's what happens after the order is signed and how you continue to expand. That's the added value that we want to bring. I don't, I think added value as like free impressions is, that's not really added value, that's free impressions. Added value or what are the discrete and unique things that your organization can bring to bear to make that experience or that efficacy greater? So when we dug into what are the superpowers of Bloomberg and Bloomberg Media, it's definitely data and insights and and, and convening and curating community. That's what we're going to do at Davos. It's what we've been doing at a lot of our events. And it's what we really want to come through in more of our day in and day out media. And to round off this conversation, because I know we're coming up at the end of our time together, but I we talked about the opportunities and the areas of investment and doubling down next year. On the opposite side, what are some of the challenges you're kind of keeping an eye out on? Because I think, you know, 
given how I keep using the word volatile, but considering how 2023 was in that way, um, I'm wondering if the expectation is that 2024 is going to share some of those same traits. Um, but also, I'm sure there's other challenges that probably will show up in 2024. It is an election year um, in many different countries, including the U.S. So that in and of itself brings its challenges and excitement and all the other adjectives. Um, but I'm curious how you're kind of thinking about keeping an eye out on, on what 2024 might might hold. I think uh, definitely I'm a, I'm a little weary. I, I'm worried a little bit about the volatility and, you know, maybe I'm past worry. I just, maybe I'm just expecting it now. So, okay, it was fine. It happened and we're geared and aligned to be prepared if that carries on. Like I feel really good about what we're doing. Um, don't take any client for granted. Be very thoughtful and listen, bring more to bear. Um I guess the, the 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 unknown is where do the shift where are the shifts in consumption where do clients want us like another big thing for us in 2023 was the rapid growth of consumption in newsletters and that's a real education to clients who you know outside of a couple of media companies whose entire business was in newsletters, you know, not unlike what I was talking to you, the success of the dedicated events team, when they go talk to event people that want events, you're doing great. But when you're talking to somebody about a cross-platform buy, newsletters were this, you know, ugly stepchild kind of thing. We had to elevate and do a lot of learning, uh, teaching to our clients that newsletters were like the portable web and look at us, we're sitting here on a podcast. I think that's an area that still needs a lot more education. I mean, the the people that make it this far in this conversation that we're having, they're rapidly engaged, you know, they're paying attention. So how do we reflect the value and why and how more people should expend their energy on being here? So I don't think that's a new thing. Uh, it, it's kind of a feature of what I love about my job is is trying to figure out and anticipate what are the shifts in consumption and how do we take our clients there and put the right value so that our organization can continue to reinvest in reaching people in those places. Because of some of those unknowns, do you think it's possible at like this point? I'm sure, you know, the goals are set for the for the 2024 year, but I am curious if you think it's possible to predict at this point in time, whether or not 2024 will be a growth year or will be kind of flat or if it's just too hard to predict. Because I think that's also a very valid answer at, based on how the past couple of years have gone. It is so hard to predict. I mean, I feel like it's even just been within the last month that two of the major holding companies adjusted down their growth projections for 2024. When we look at a bottoms up of the opportunities that we have across all of the touch points and, you know, we're really blessed to have so many channels for distribution, we still think we will see growth. Um, how much growth? Some, it feels like a moving target. I hope mm -hmm. the projections that we have turn out to be really low and that we blow past all of it. And, you know, I can get really excited when I think about all the opportunities and how we would do that, given that, like, I started with saying that those two agencies already adjusted their predictions. It's, it's definitely a sign of uh, 
real shifts. I mean, you know, here's another sidebar. Are the agencies seeing that shift because clients are shifting their strategies away from around agencies as well? You know, I, that's also part of the mix. You know, all fun and ad land, always changing. <laughs> always keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. Um, well, thank you so much, Christine, for taking the time to join me on the podcast and for kicking off the 2024 year for the Digiday podcast. Um, this was a really fascinating conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I look forward to doing it again soon. Take care. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. 